Welcome back to another exciting time with an extraordinary film. This 1958 classic stars James Stewart as former police detective John Scotty Ferguson. The film is from the master of spence, Alfred Hitchcock, who's brought us such great films as Rear Window, Psycho, North by Northwest, and Catch a Thief. Of course, we are talking about one of the first 25 films selected to the Library of Congress for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. If you haven't guessed it by now, we are spinning our way into a complete message of the genuine, unique cinematic film, Vertigo. Join us as we hang out by the incredible landmarks of San Francisco for this one-of-a-kind film. We're so glad you're back for another episode with our hosts, Laura Truman, Patrick G. Keenan, Carlisle, Squeaker, Hamrick, and of course, my name is Kent Smith. Each episode, we discuss a new film with our mystery guests from all over the world. Our mystery guests make up a lovely nickname to speak freely about their experiences as directors, writers, producers, DPs, and film experts from around the world. Welcome to Adult Beverage Podcast, where we will be talking films, new and old. He's looking at you, kid. Did we just become best friends? Yep. As well as anything else in the entertainment world, while enjoying an adult beverage in hand. So today we've got a special guest. We've got uh, Ferris on board, and uh, welcome to the show, Ferris. Oh, it's an honor to be joining. Uh, thank you so much for the invite. And, and man, we're impressed with the uh, all the DVDs sitting behind you, and uh, you know, obviously you're a film <laughs> film lover like all of us. Yeah. I thought those were books. Aren't yeah. those books? No, nah, they're DVDs. We got some DVDs. We <laughs> got they? some VHS. We have a few collectible books back there too. But I yeah, see Star Wars, nice. Star Wars, yeah, Star Wars, Wars Empire Strikes Back. T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Great. Well, what's Lolita? Just based what's... on like the spine, like just that one end of it. Hold up, that one. That's uh, that's the original Star Wars trilogy on VHS. So wow, yeah. there yeah. we go. Laura nice. just got excited. Laura just did I? I've got that. No, she's too. in the middle of drinking. I've got like three of those. She's got it yeah. on Laserdisc. Yeah. So I do have it on Laserdisc. <laughs> she probably has the very first print available. On she has Laser them on GAF ViewMaster mm-hmm. uh, files. It's really good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got on here also we've got lovely laura and Hello. patrick Yay. and Yay. squeakers Yay. here also and with some awesome hair well yes. he does have the best so hair in the business so we gotta go for it um, but anyway we're not here to talk about squeakers hair we're here to talk <laughs> about <laughs> alfred hitchcock's vertigo Ver- vertigo Vertigo, as Patrick Vertigo. likes to refer to as Vertigo. So, Vertigo, um, let me ask this. Is this your favorite Alfred Hitchcock film? No. No. Well, let's tell, tell me what it is. What's your favorite? Mm, I'm going to have to say Psycho. I just really like that one. I'm torn between Psycho and the birds. You know why? Because stuff happens. Yeah. yeah, stuff happens. I like stuff. <laughs> That happens. Mm-hmm. Stuff happens in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to be perfectly yeah. honest. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you guys. Go. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I haven't seen very many Hitchcock films like all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces of a ton of them, but I think Psycho is one of the few ones I've just seen completely, except for 
vertigo now. Uh, but yeah, I would say Psycho still just has to take the cake. Uh, so many great things about it. Yeah. yeah, it's a great film. It's a great one. Let's talk uh, about that instead. Yeah, why'd you pick this <laughs> one, Patrick? Well, Jeez. I, I think <laughs> this is a great film. Oh, wait. Is this, this is a Kent movie? Yeah, this is Sorry. a Kent movie. Sorry, this is a Kent movie. Some, I didn't mean to blame this on straight. you. And this is not my favorite. <laughs> this is not my favorite of his films. I what's will your say, favorite? Uh, yeah, what's your favorite? I actually like Rear Window. I love the story um, of Rear Window and how it, it unfolds and the, you know, the location and you know what it's all about. Um, but I, I, I will say Vertigo is a film that every time I watch it, I gain more knowledge about it and I, and I have a bigger appreciation for it. And I, I loved it from the very beginning. So it wasn't something that, you know, I grew into. And, and I think this film was really interesting when it came out. It was not, you know, a success. And I think, uh, you know, from a, people, you know, the critics were Coast not on board. Piece. And, you know, I think there's a lot of things about this film that have grown over the years. And as it's gotten more and more, now it's become more appreciated, uh, you know, by so many critics and filmmakers, and you know, and I, along the list of you know anyone that's in the film industry. So, I, my question next is to you: Is what is it? Okay, first of all, do you love this film or do you hate this film? We'll start with uh, let's start with our guest here, uh, Ferris. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely adored it. Like every minute of it, I um, it's it's one of those. Yeah, like I mentioned, I've seen bits and pieces. I knew the inspirations, and I knew that it was the basically inventor of the dolly zoom, and a uh, big influence on Brian De Palma. Uh, but I hadn't sat through and watched it from start to finish, and uh, did that earlier today, and was just absolutely engaged the entire time. Um, and I, I I can understand how it can be polarizing. Uh, I mean, honestly, the protagonist, I guess you could call him that, is not a very, uh, not a very redeemable character. <laughs> he's got, he's got a lot of problems he has to work through, uh, as do most of the characters in this film. Um, so it's kind of hard to connect with it on that level. But um, just from pure technical pers- perspective, um, I was enthralled the entire time. Patrick, what was your thoughts? I mean, you've seen this before, so this is not your first time, you know, watching it. It's it's a it's beautiful. It's the the visuals are beautiful. Even the weird, what is it like, early CG or is it just straight up animation? Whatever it's it animation. Is, is it animation? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's it's pretty to look at. Yes. Uh, it's just a little bit slow to me, and I also spend a lot of time looking at James Stewart when he was forty nine. Looks like Ray Milland to me yeah i I don't know what yeah it's really weird um it's a little bit creepy that he's going after this 26 year old that's my problem with it like well it's one of my problems with it he's also very the way she's treated is very misogynistic through this entire movie absolutely i mean it's really it's funny how times have changed like i don't know that you can do vertigo like these days, you know, <laughs> you'd be like, yeah. oh, my God, that guy's it. Throw him off of the bell tower. For real. I, I think that is For something that's, that has, uh, you know, not aged on this film. But I also think you, know, you have to think about when this was made and, you know, the time period and how things were done then, which as we are all happy that things have changed and that's not the way that we're 
moving forward in in history. Um, but I think that that shows that you know that maybe that was things he was talking about in this film. You know, is that you know the, the equality aspects of it. But also, I, I think this is a film that's built around a change you know and it's it's brought to you to to look at one way and then it comes a completely different because you don't see the ending i i mean i didn't the first time i watched it i don't know if anyone that's why did you stop the movie no no no, no. <laughs> but i'm saying i didn't see see what the ending really you know how it evolved and i you know squeaker i know you watched this for the first time you know what were your thoughts on the film so I, I went through kind of a roller coaster ride with it. I started off, and I would agree with Patrick. I, I was a little, a little bored in the beginning. It was kind of slow. Which a lot of car rides, um, a lot of tailing, but terrible tailing, by the way. He was terrible. Plain sight, um, following this lady. But like each, each kind of reveal as it went along pulled me in even more, and I, I was like totally locked in by the end. I was, and just like devastated. Yeah. I mean, you got to realize this was made in 1957. I mean, for that film to still, it's still when you know in the theaters, it's still drawing people to see it. And you know, and I realize there's a sort of a cult following around Hitchcock and and this film, but to still that it could go into a theater today and probably, you know, bring in as much as some of these other films are bringing in right now, because, you know, even after the play, oh, but yeah, right now it's not really a good example. <laughs> yeah, probably not right now. I mean, right now. Yeah. I mean, vertigo could be seven number one easily. Show, seven people showed up. That would put you at number one this week. That's you know? number one for the week. Yeah. I found um, myself waiting for people to fall off of buildings. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. For a movie uh, called the vertigo, time. there's not a whole lot of vertigo in it. Like, right. there's not as much right. vertigo there's as really I just, wanted a movie really, called Vertigo to have, you know? It's like what three, I mean? three incidents. Now, for my money, yeah. if I want to see people falling off of buildings, I'm going Towering Inferno. Oh, there's that's a, a lot good of one. people fucking fuck. They jump out windows, they fall off of outdoor oh, escalator yeah. elevators. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, they fall off that, that tram thing the firemen set up. So, and you got Steve a, McQueen and Paul Newman in that. Neither who fall out of the building. That's right, because you got to hang on yeah. to them. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah, we need them. One of the yeah, biggest vertigo moments was standing on a stool. <laughs> yeah, a chair. Yes. It wasn't and even for like... somebody who can't get all the way up on top of the stool without freaking out, he sure can go up a bunch of stairs after a lady. Is I... that like the power of obsessive love? Or Jason is it Tail. just like... <laughs> he didn't make it in time. He couldn't Cause... get up there. Well, my, my thoughts on you that. You guys. Here's my thoughts on, on that. If this story was all about vertigo and F and that was it, this would not be a you would be bored to death in this. Well, movie. certainly, but yeah. it needed less car rides and more vertigo. Well, I think the I, car I can, rides. I can defend the car rides. Yeah, I, I, I'm on the. I, I don't think I think there was a lot of car rides, but I also think there's some things that happen and 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 I know we talked about this a little bit offline, but one of the things about the car rides that I don't know if anyone else noticed, but every car ride is going downhill. His character is driving downhill in every single scene. It's it's very well played, and maybe that was the reason for it, was to set this whole. This is a you know about a character that is on the down path. You know he's never fallen in love, and this is the first time that he's really fallen in love with someone. You know whether it's an you know older guy falling for a younger girl. This is the case. But Which every, I'm, I'm not against that if it's real love. But right. It's not this with doesn't I mean, seem like real love at all. 
his conversation with Midge made it seem like he's just a dude. Well, we're we're engaged. Where we something, and uh, I forget uh, all about our history together. And it's like you're a douche. You're right, a douche, and he, he sees this woman, and he's in love with her. He doesn't know anything about her. This and married then, woman. This married well, woman, yeah. and he knows <laughs> that she's married to his friend. It's like, come on. So, Sorry, Jimmy Stewart, but like also bastard. old yucky old man hands all over the young lady. Oh, they're all hairy and veiny. And <laughs> I watched this on a big screen TV and I couldn't stop looking at his really old, yucky, gross hands. So he was 49. He wasn't like, you know, geriatric. It's not like he was the guy well, in the 58. Hey, my what husband is 49 and he doesn't look like that. And she fell in love with him. No, she didn't. Uh, I mean, okay, I guess. I think you need to watch it one more time because she does. No, I mean, like, I get that that's how the story goes, but, like, how real people, like, connect and fall in love. Like, she woke up in his house not knowing who he was and was just like, okay, I'm going to put on your robe and I'll just have a conversation with you. And, like, this is totally normal. And... I'll reveal details of my personal life. I don't even know who the fuck you are. Sorry. So let me he, ask the question. We all got a yeah. moment to say whether we like the movie. I don't think Laura actually got to go. I, I'm no, but I think it's here, clear. But, um, <laughs> I think she pretty much hated it. I didn't hate it. But I didn't Laura hate it. it. I like it was totally beautiful. It was beautiful and the shots are good and like even like the acting is it's fine, but like I don't believe the romance because I don't think enough time was spent developing it. It was just like instantaneous. Like you, you really, Kim Novak looks at Jimmy Stewart and she's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." My wife a said piece of that. I mean, my I wife said in, that about in me. His house, she saw me and she fell in love with me instantly. So you know, it he snatched happen. her up out of the river, took him, took her home, stripped her clothes off. off Put her in the bed, and she's just like, oh, I love you. I just love you. I don't even know who you are. Well, here's the thing that that I think that we're missing, too, is Jimmy Stewart was, at this time, was one of the most – he was George Clooney at that time. He was, at this point, he was probably as – I mean, he was the number two actor, I think, at the time. Um, Well, and you also thought of him as a person who didn't, like – sleep with married ladies or have you know affairs with married ladies and like so that part of it is also very unexpected like you're jimmy stewart you're so wholesome you're that guy from well, no he's played life. variety of characters before it's not like oh. all of a sudden he just slutted it up for a hitchcock movie yeah. and it's not but the first hitchcock. time he dove in the water after some you know something so yeah. i knew he saved clarence <laughs> right oh, building alone wow <laughs> Worst Jimmy well, Stewart. Let, so let's, <laughs> I had my eyes closed. I thought Jimmy Stewart had joined the call. Oh, <laughs> it's like he came back. Second. It's like he came back to life with those death-like hands that Laura fears when she closes her eyes. Harry, <laughs> Harry, oh and Vanny. You know what so, I did so really hairy. like was was the cop falling off at the beginning. I thought that was a much more tense person falling off of something because you you got a kind of a close up of Jimmy Stewart and you're like, oh, the cop's gonna help him. Holy sh- Nike! Yeah, that oh. was that was a good scare. That was and a then great his weird scare. cartoony body falls to the ground. 
doing I mean, strange movements. Kind of recreate that in the opening of the Matrix as well, which I think y'all talked about recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um, had the last yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the rooftop chase sequence in there, strong, mm-hmm. uh, strong vertigo vibes. Oh, definitely, yes. without a doubt. They that's a definitely, I think, uh, an influence in their uh, story on the Matrix there. Um, let's let's get to the Jimmy Stewart part of it when he was hanging on to the uh, you know the gutter there. Uh, yeah. What happened when you're, you know, there's a lot of little pieces that are like gaps in this film. And I can see where sometimes the first time you watch it, those gaps can bother you and can take you away from the story. Uh, that was one situation where, you know, he ends up next. We see him hanging. Of course, the other cop falls and, you know, you know hits the ground and it's dead. And then we see Jimmy that's had, you know, he's got some sort of, brace around his body and, and, and a cane like, mm-hmm. what do you think happened i mean what do you think happened in that situation did he fall did he uh, is that from I another injury fell. or i assumed he fell but in a much better way than the cop did i guess jimmy didn't fall on his face well and it, and it, it showed like the cop did and it showed from the cop's perspective now i know it was the you know, using the vertigo this was a tremendous fall like you know like hundreds yeah. of feet like you wouldn't survive this fall yeah. um you know, that was the only thing that kind of was like, mm, you know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of like, well, my instinct says he would be dead if he did that. Yeah. But, but looking back from a filmmaker's perspective, Hitchcock set up moments in this film like this to let you create conversation, which he liked to refer to as the icebox effect. So they're set in there in pieces like, you know, her being. All of a sudden, she's nude in the bed. Uh, the fall, things like that, were set in there, and he wanted to have conversations around what was called the ice box because people would go to the refrigerator at that time and the ice box, and they would have conversations talking about what so like they had water seen. cooler conversations. Right, right, water <laughs> cooler conversations. Yeah. Ice box. Yeah, <laughs> but that was at that time. You know, it's in the 50, 57. So like the honeymooners was the first time I ever heard the term Ex- ice box. Exactly. <laughs> it's like I'm going over to the ice box. It's two feet away from me because <laughs> our apartment's tiny. So what do, what do you guys think? I mean, about those kind of you know gaps. I mean, do, did they bother you in the story, or did you kind of just ride with them and go with it? I kind of feel like you have to go with them. Just yeah. To, I mean, the story should be. It's not a story about how he fell. Or whatever. It's just kind of here's the story. Now, if you want to talk about a gap, it's the end of the movie is the gap. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> she she takes a Brody off of the tower because she's scared of nuns, and then <laughs> uh, Jimmy Stewart looks over the edge. Like it reminded me of that scene in in Ravenous of uh, Robert Carlyle uh, is going after Guy Pierce, and he jumps off this cliff, and. Robert Carlyle walks up to the end of the cliff and just looks over and goes, <laughs> like, it was like, oh, so Jimmy Stewart acknowledges she fell and credits. <laughs> and see. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have acrophobia anymore. Nope. Well, the film would just Yay. keep going on and going on and going on. If you well, they had shot an additional scene with uh, him and Midge. And them talking about because you have a murderer on the loose, but the reason his friend, the husband, the reason they shot that scene was because of international wanted that didn't want it to end that way, right? So they had the only reason, yeah, that was only that was not a Hitchcock move. That was uh, 
from international sales Studio and, stuff. and, and uh, distributors wanted to have that because of their codes at that time that they had. So, um, you know, cause I, it is kind of weird. It's very unresolved. Like the end of psycho, that shit's wrapped up. Yeah. You're yeah. like, I know who did it and I know what happened to him. And then you're watching this and you're like, well, there's a killer on the loose and yeah. well, fuck me. God only knows what happened to her. She's just like back in the office. It was all explained in the letter. Like I feel like I was sort of cheated out of some some good scenes by her just reading the letter and explaining everything to us. Like, oh yeah, I'm a double, and we didn't, you know, we threw the body off, and oh by the way, that's what happened, and then rip it up. And I think in her mind though, she's kind of innocent because she wanted to scream. And Mr. What, what was the guy's name? The husband, the murderer guy. Oh, Ms. oh uh, El- Elster or El- something yeah, like that. Sounds too. right. He and he basically grabs her by the mouth and and stops her from screaming. And uh, she kind of tries to make it seem like when she gets busted by uh, Jimmy Stewart towards the end that like she's like an unwilling accomplice or something, which is, she was totally into that. She was, she was like, she knew what was going on. (laughs) Yeah. So we see, was she the mistress of that guy? Were they together? And then, no, I think she was just a double that he hired. I thought she was the mistress because Jimmy Stewart got and then he just threw you away, right? And he just blah. That's what. Yeah, I wasn't and, really uh, sure. That was another one of the icebox effects where he leaves that for you. You know, one of the things Hitchcock wants you to do is to create conversation. He wants that aspect, and he wants you as an audience to. And I think it's one of the great things that he does or did as a filmmaker was he wants you to imagine into these spots. And he doesn't, you know, he could have said, oh, this is what happens. You know, you were with him and you left. And he could have, that dialogue could have been that. But he left it so that it was your interpretation. And he wants audience participation in the story. And that brings you into the story, I think, more so. And I think this is a film, every time you watch it, the more you get out of it. And the more pieces that you pick up from it and you go, it gets better and better. And I think it also has to do with which version you watch. So I actually watched uh, the, the one that's the 100th anniversary that was restored. And I'm going to tell you, it is absolutely amazing and beautiful. They spent a million dollars in this restoration of this. Um, Universal did. And... It's phenomenal uh, what they did. And, and they went back through all this, you know, different films. And they grabbed the archives of old footage. And then they were able to take the old footage and chop it up and then restore it. And they restored the music and, and everything. And it's yeah. just, I mean, watching that version compared to what the version I saw in the original version, you know, is like night and day. Like the colors... Because it was shot with Vista Vision, um, which jumps out off the page like yeah. beautiful. You know the reds. The reds oh. are insane. Oh, the color palette's amazing in this movie. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, it's pretty. It's pretty to look at, except for there's, her grace. There's some scenes with um, the red wallpaper. 
Yes. It looks like yeah, that like a in like the, a the whorehouse. Yeah. It's like yeah. oh, it looks looks so like something garish. out of the David Lynch uh, t- out of uh, Twin Peaks or something. You expect it's a midget to talk backwards and walk mm. through the room. Damn it, I said and, midget, little person <laughs> to go through. <laughs> it was just so vibrant. It was so <laughs> vibrant. And considering people are smoking, it wouldn't be that vibrant. No, be all dulled and killed no. from the smoke. One of the things bullshit. Yeah, one of the things one of the things Hitchcock likes to do um, is uh, cinematic poetry, and this is a film that's definitely that. Okay, so he loves to tell a story without words, in a sense, and then start with the pictures, and and then then he takes it. He was an art director. He started out, uh, you know, so he's got that creative aspect that he, he brought to the table, but then he takes the words and brings it in, but. Plot is a thing that you know that you can hang things on. That's what he liked to do. He'd take a plot and then he would build it around it. What bothers you about the story? In the story that bothers you, that that just takes you go. I don't know. I don't believe. Is there anything in there that that you just don't believe? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think I have you, a lot of those. <laughs> I think you get that with every movie in a sense, like no matter what it is, no matter what genre, no matter what time period, there's some things you just kind of have to roll with and just kind of accept as they are presented. Um, but in this one, of course, as it was released, what, 60 years ago, there's even more of that where, whereas we're in a much different time period, culturally and socially, and it's kind of hard to get in the mindset of those characters at that time and the way certain people were treated and i mean the way that women were treated in this film was very much unacceptable uh, by by all Thank standards <laughs> yeah you. yeah yeah but um <laughs> but i also think it's just a matter of you know seeing that i mean just because it was a different time doesn't make it acceptable but it makes it more um i guess realistic in a sense that you can kind of understand how and why it's presented that way um, it's a product so, of its day. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's indicative kind of, of the time period. Though. Well, and, yeah. and, and enough in sadness, it still goes on today. Uh, oh, certainly. It's not, it's not certainly. something that has just gone away, and you know, it's it's a sad thing, but it is the way it, the way of the world, and um, you know, hopefully, people will you know learn and move forward, and will keep getting better on those situations. Um, is the city itself a character in this film? Oh yeah, yeah, heck yeah. yeah. It was San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, she's a beautiful lady, San Francisco. Yeah, I like San Diego better, but you know, San Francisco. <laughs> San Diego. Nice. San Diego. Whale, Whale vagina. vagina. <laughs> yeah, the use of the Golden Gate Bridge uh, really, really astounded me, especially right where she's there on on the pier and kind of jumps off, and just her standing right there on the edge and the shot composition and the red, the red of the bridge was just breathtaking. It, it's amazing really on that. And yeah. then, you know, of course the, the water scene is actually not shot there at that location. It was shot on stages. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was all you done. Can tell. You can tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> jumping in there and like trying to, I don't even know if there's steps there. I don't, I've, I've never been there, but I would like to next time I go, I'd like to go there and check it out. Um, but that part was done in the studio and, and that was one of the things. So how can you go there if there isn't really there? Well, it, it the is studio. there. The steps down <laughs> to the water are not there. 
So all that was built on a set and stages. So why don't you just build the set? Well, you're still going to go and see the bridge <laughs> from that point of view. Yeah. <laughs> or you could go to a mock scale and, you know, maybe look at it. So I don't understand your highfalutin terms. <laughs> I need lowfalutin. Yeah. <laughs> no, no falutin. Yeah. No falutin. No falutin here. Non falutin free. <laughs> well, I guess that just about covers everything, doesn't it? I never married. I don't see much of the old college gang. I'm a retired detective, and you're on the shipbuilding business. <sighs> What's in your mind, Gavin? I asked you to come up here, Scotty, knowing that you'd quit detective work. But I wondered whether you'd go back on the job as a special favor to me. I want you to follow my wife. No, it's not that. We're very happily married. Well, then... I'm afraid some harm may come to her. From home. Someone dead. Scotty, do you believe that someone out of the past, someone dead, can enter and take possession of a living being? No. If I told you that I believe this has happened to my wife, what would you say? Well, I'd say take her to the nearest psychiatrist. Or psychologist, or neurologist, or psycho, or maybe just the plain family doctor. I'd have him check on you too. Then you're of no use to me. I'm sorry I wasted your time. Thanks for coming in, Scotty. Okay. I, uh, I didn't mean to be that rough. No, it sounds idiotic. I know. And you're still the hard-headed Scott, aren't you? Always were. You think I'm making it up? No. I'm not making it up. I wouldn't know how. She'll be talking to me about something. Suddenly the words fade into silence. A cloud comes into her eyes and they go blank. She's somewhere else, away from me, someone I don't know. I call to her, she doesn't even hear me. Then with a long sigh, she's back. Looks at me brightly. Doesn't even know she's been away. Can't tell me where or when. Well, how often does this happen? More and more in the past few weeks. And she wanders. God knows where she wanders. I followed her one day. Watched her coming out of the apartment. Someone I didn't know. She even walked a different way. Got into her car and... Drove out to Golden Gate Park, five miles. Sat by the lake, staring across the water at the pillars that stand on the far shore. You know, portals of the past. Sat there a long time without moving. I had to leave, get back to the office. When I got home that evening, I asked her what she'd done all day. She said she'd driven out to Golden Gate Park and sat by the lake, that's all. Well... Speedometer on her car showed that she'd driven 94 miles. Where did she go? This is important, Kent. Sure. What is everyone drinking tonight? That was my question, yeah. so it was great. Shut the front door. No, that's my No, question. really, really. Somebody's really? coming through. I can see. It's, it's gold. <laughs> so what is everyone drinking? Laura? Well, um, I'm going to say uh, Sierra Nevada Wild Little Thing. It's what I'm always drinking. It's really good. Strawberry. I thought there was no other way to do this, but I had to do Freak of Nature. 
uh, by Wicked Weed. And, uh, yeah, I thought there's no way to, you know, this needs to be a double uh, Indian pale ale here, uh, which is really good. A great little beer from Wicked Weed. And, uh, but, you know, it fits right in with this movie with Freak of Nature because that's what Jimmy Stewart was in this film. <laughs> so, how about you? How, what, what are y'all? What are y'all drinking? Anybody drinking anything else? I got a, I got a straight black coffee here, but uh, that's, that's about perfect. It. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Still more exciting that's than probably my the, filtered yeah. water. <laughs> I mean, Willet. I'm drinking Willet as I always do. At least you're consistent, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> what are you drinking, Squeak? I got uh, some whiskey. Um, Whiskey. Oh, yeah. So basically, the way you said that, I feel that you're lying. And it's, no, he's oh, got no, whiskey. Right like whiskey. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that's Diet Coca Cola. <laughs> it's, uh, it's called New Riff. It's like a craft whiskey from Kentucky. So, right. Wow. What's it called? New Riff? New Riff. Yes. Yeah, nice. I like it. Well, let's try that one out. All right. Um, I like riffing. <laughs> why did they. Like riff, riff tracks. Why did, right. they, why did they choose uh, Scotty to set up? I mean, because, you know, he's set up in this film without a doubt. That's a good question. I want to know the answer. Inquiring minds want to know. I'd say because he's emotionally disconnected. Okay. I'm not saying that's right. Okay. But there's something that's not right in him when it comes to women. Old school chums, right? He he and that guy, right? Okay. So what's the connection? Why did they pick him? I mean, not a great choice being a detective. Like, (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, he, he's also not a great okay. detective because if you want to fool him, you just go someplace high up. Goes, <laughs> well, I oh, thought that's why they him. picked him. Like she even said, he knew oh, he wouldn't chase. So was I guess it depends on how long ago the plan of pushing off the tower was. If that was the plan all along, then yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, I think yeah. he just knew that his that they could trust each other and that they had such a great relationship built up that there was not going to be any like suspicion of such a backstabbing like we had with this. So, um, but, but he says in the, at some point in the movie, he says, my good friends call me, John, my acquaintances call me Scotty. And that guy never calls him anything but Scotty. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And even she switches to Scotty after a while. Like she's an acquaintance too. It's like, well, what, what, what are you doing there? Why does he have two names in, to begin with? Well, I that thought actual that was conversation was weird to me because he said, uh, he said uh, what you had just said. And then she goes, well, I'll call you Mr. Ferguson. He goes, oh, I don't like that. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> I'd rather you call me, uh, didn't he say? I'd rather you call me whatever. John. I'd rather you call me John. Right. Yeah. And she says, well, I like that better. And then she does proceeds to call him Scotty later on. Maybe it was because she was trying to stay detached. She didn't want to get too attached to him. So she was like trying to be in the acquaintance zone. But she was screaming. That's like (laughs) that when he was like wrestling with her at the end. She's like, Scotty, Scotty, no, no. Like, what? Wait a minute. That's that's when she was Judy. Well, that's so maybe true. Judy, maybe Judy. But wasn't her. Judy the same lady that he fell in love with as Madeline? I don't know. Maybe Judy no, calls him Scotty, true. and the other one calls him. I don't I'm know. so confused. You know, get your ass over to the ice box and work Scott. it out. <laughs> work this shit out, Laura. Scotty, John, Judy, Madeline. Now, what would have happened Rich. in the movie if she didn't wear that damn necklace? Right. 
I had no idea you were the same person. Mm -hmm. Mr. Gower! (laughs) Mr. Gower! It would be like Patrick, like slightly changing his haircut and then color, and then coming on the podcast and be like, "I'm not Patrick. I'm I'm Tim. (laughs) I'm Stephen Root." Well, if you remember in (laughs) fuck you, Ken. If you remember remember in Sing Street, Rafina goes away to London, and when she comes back, uh, Connor goes like Rafina, and she goes, "I'm not Rafina." I'm her youngest sister. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so yeah. she tried it. It didn't work because he goes, didn't no, work. you're not. No. Yeah. You need Jimmy Stewart to go, no, you're not. You're the same fucking woman. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was your thoughts on that? Did you did you believe, do you think he knew or do you think that he was trying to figure out or do you think that he was trying to work through his own problems? Well, uh, he was just I, delusional. Yeah, yeah. He he had very many problems and he was just kind of so far gone into the obsession that uh, he was not thinking coherently whatsoever. And, um, you know, he was so like absorbed in his own toxic, to- well, his own toxicity and his own, what he thought was love and passion was just toxicity. And um, he <laughs> <It> always is. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, for love. <laughs> yeah. So there was no way he could bring himself to think clearly through all that just because he was so bogged down in his own selfish desires, honestly. Which is funny because when I watched it and he's going through the dress sequence and everything, I'm like, well, he knows they're the same person. Why is he torturing her like this? So I really got not to like Scotty. John. Yeah, I thought he was doing uh, that because, because she was the same person. Like, but he then was when forcing you, her to reveal herself. But then when he sees the necklace, all of a sudden it's like the little light bulb goes off and you're like, so you were just being a, a jerk? Right. You were just being a total <laughs> dick this whole you're a time. Freak. You're a total freak. And you really were just going to make me wear the clothes and make me change my hair. Like, you're really just an asshole. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but was he an asshole or was he that the fact that he was truly in love with her? Asshole. Is that? And, that's not love. That he, that's obsession. That's unhealthy yeah, that's obsession. A, that's not, you know. Like to line. force someone to like <laughs> wear a certain thing or do their hair. I mean, like. We just learned out just... about squeakers relationships. Come on. Stop. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, not it's, that it's fine a fine line. It's a little, it's a little thicker line. <laughs> but, but let's think about this. Now, what he experienced. So he went through this, you know, basically watching a woman, you know, fall to her death that he thought he was in love with. And now he sees someone that looks like it. Is it not a question of him trying to figure that out and see if it is her? And also the detective in him, like trying to unveil the whole mystery behind what has actually happened. If this happened to you, what would you do? Would you just let her walk past or would you try to create conversation to find out something? And then as it gets on, you get farther and farther. I think he was a compulsive in it, but would, th- would not, I don't not think be I'd buy her a bunch of clothes that were the same and make her change her hair. I don't think I'd do that. Well, but that's just me. <laughs> I actually got one, one thing. Sorry. I should <laughs> just I'm alone here. Of, the other is, as the audience, like, I didn't even at first think that was the same. I, was, I wasn't convinced it was the same lady. I was waiting to find out if this was just somebody who looked like her. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just totally um, mental. Yeah. Yeah. Because didn't, didn't we have the red herring woman in the parking lot that looked like? There were yeah, a few had that red in the restaurant. Yeah. The restaurant. Yeah. 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 Uh, mm-hmm. And so I could see what you're saying, Squeaker. Yeah. 
But then the other thing I just thought of is talking about that icebox and like kind of filling in the gaps. <laughs> um, did she put herself in position where she, he would see her? Did he want her to find? Did well, that's what I wondered if she didn't her. stop there for a reason. Yeah. Because she definitely looked in that direction. Mm-hmm. And and that's because, you know, she says later on that she was in love with him. And, you know, she fell in love with him in this situation. Now, whether you believe someone in this position that is, you know, basically gone and tricked, uh, but maybe she did fall in love with him and that was the situation. Well, I also I saw really it a little bit as like, like she was trying to see if he really loved her for who she was or just for that situation he had gotten himself into. Like Mm -hmm. if she, she was the same person obviously, but she didn't want to be compared to that girl because she wanted to be independent. Like to find out if he actually loved her just for who she was. Yeah. She wanted to be Judy. Yeah. Yeah. And was she, was Judy her real name? Oh, I thought that was her real identity. That is her real identity. There's so many names in here. It's, it's (laughs) So many names for the same people, it's hard to keep up. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Maybe that's why Jimmy Stewart's character has all these different names. Exactly. He's he's no better than Judy. For sure. uh, What was her other name? Mallory? No, Marguerite. Madeline. Uh, Madeline. Yeah, same thing. Didn't Midge have another name? Didn't they call her? Yeah. No, she's just Marjorie. Marjorie. Yeah, Yeah, Marjorie is her name. Yeah, Did she? Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. she was just. She yells wood. at herself at the end and she says her full name. Oh. <laughs> Everyone else calls me Midge, but I call myself Melanie. Because Ma- I'm Marjorie. weird like that. Marjorie. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm insane Patrick. like that. <laughs> Did anyone These M names? Did anyone feel like this was like a like a uh, like a dream throughout? You know, because you have no. the the fog <laughs> filters, okay, and I'm gonna right. say this. You know, were used very, uh, you know, throughout the film, there's a lot of fog filters put on the camera to create this illusion of a dreamy kind of feel at certain points. Oh, there's um, that scene where she uh, steps out of the bathroom after doing her hair, and she, it's, it's like she stepped off an alien ship. She's like in this green fog. She did. The, the only scene in this, the only. It's an icebox moment. <laughs> And the only scene in this whole movie that I can't figure out how they do, you know, and, and pull off, and I I need to go back and watch just that scene three or four times to look at it, is that scene where she comes out and then the camera starts to kind of pan around and all of a sudden the scenes change in the background. Now, I'm sure that was done in a sort of a green screen kind of aspect back in the day. But at that time, I'm not. I know they used different projections uh, to pull off things, and I wondered if that was how it was done, or if it was done in some other way. I don't know. To this day, I still have not figured that scene out, and it's just a really interesting of, you know, different locations as you know as they start to make the kiss, you know, and and the whole kind of you know, where it goes from there. So, but just my thoughts. I thought the it. I thought when he had the dream, it was it looked like a dream. The dream, yeah. Let's talk about the dream. Uh, that was messed up. That was screwy. Yeah. There's little, little spiral things around him. Yeah, and that's something that Hitchcock did not – he didn't do. That was someone else that did that part of it. So that was all done by an artist. Uh, they did it in post. Yeah, I forgot what his <laughs> name is, but uh, it's still one of the cool – Bob. I think it's Bob. Yeah, I think his name came across in the opening credits, but I can't remember yeah, what it was yeah. exactly. 
Uh, I can't either, but anyway, we'll think about it. We'll throw it Is out. Uh, Bob, Bob Lefkowitz? Um, <laughs> yeah, Bob, Bob something. Anyway, we'll, Bob, we'll figure uh, that out. Um, Bob Zamuda? No. <laughs> yeah. We can keep guessing on the Bobs until someone... Uh, squeaker will probably pull it up there for Accidentally you. Accidentally gets it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it, Kent. I have a question. Wasn't sure. it blue screen? Wasn't it blue screen back in the day? Before green screen? They, they used a lot of blue screen back in the day uh, before the green. Then they started going to green um, later. But um, they also did rear projection type things. So they would project. Oh, tell on, me more. Yeah, onto the, onto the wall behind them. And they right. were so they good at that. they driving scenes? Yeah, a lot of that was like that you could tell were the driving scenes. And, you know, they were a little staging. And, and some of those driving scenes, like I, I agree with you, they were very long, you know. Cars are short. cool, though. Yeah. But I think part I, of that was just to show so the old. effect of the chase. Of, <laughs> yeah. you, know, the, you know, setting up. I didn't love the editing on the, on the driving scenes because it felt like they would show one point of view and then the next point of view would be like a completely different part of the road. And you're like, that doesn't line up with where he should be right now. Well, and I think you're right about that. And I think that was pretty much to designed to do create the effect of going downhill as much as possible. So they probably, you know, in the edit room, it didn't work, but they wanted to continue to have you having that sensation of him going down. He's, you know, he's basically at this point in the plot, you know, he's, he's hit, you know, in this, in the storyline, he is hitting rock bottom, you know, and he's searching for anything and everything because he's, you know, his world's been turned upside down. And I, I, I think there's things about this I really like about the story and the, you know, I, I do think it is a, is a romance film in some way. Um, I, I think it's morbid in some ways. Um, I think it's, you know, it fits into a lot of the dysfunctional sexual paranoia, uh, you know, religious kind of, you know, connotations that come with, you know, Christianity. And, and going back to that. <laughs> Uh, but you know, Hitchcock was a master of suspense and he created suspense through this film. And, and, you know, even to the very end, he's bringing you along, bringing you along, bringing you along. You know, I'm always amazed that when people watch this film, how everybody reacts, because I know people that have watched this film and then I've talked to them five years later and they've watched it a couple more times and they have a completely different, every time you watch it, you come with a different you know, feeling about it or emotion. And you start to like get into the more aspects of the film. Every time you watch it, there's little pieces that pop up. Is there anything about this film that like you wouldn't watch this again? I remember I watched this the first time and I really liked it. And I, I feel like it's me that's changed. Obviously it's the movie is the same, but you know, Definitely my perspective has, has changed. You didn't like that one scene where he was making out with her and she kept turning her head and he was just basically like kissing her. Oh my God. Face. Oh my God. Like never have I wanted to punch Jimmy Stewart so bad. That was an awkward scene. Yeah. Yeah. Just let go of her. Hitchcock was pissed afterwards that he used Jimmy Stewart because he said Jimmy Stewart was too old. To play that. This is the last time. This is the last time James Stewart worked with Hitchcock, because he he it didn't do well at the box office, and uh, Hitchcock pretty much blamed it on Jimmy Stewart being too old as the the main character. 
Give me, give me Paul Newman, and you got the same eyes, but in a better body. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Jimmy was, uh, you know, the same thing as Paul <laughs> Newman. You know, Paul Newman was the, you know, that kind of. Uh, Jimmy Stewart brought like a comical kind of feel to it, you know, in most cases, and this was a big change from his characters that he had played in anything. You know, he's always playing more of a stand-up, straight lace kind of guy, and in this one, he becomes. Almost a villain in a sense, uh, in parts, even though he's not the villain in this story. But he has that oh, sort of, you know, that, of that edge of the of one, you know. And so a lot of times I think people don't relate to him as well because it doesn't fit the mold of storytelling in your protagonists and, anta- you know, and antagonists. Right. They agree. And my, and my dog Say agrees again, there. So, there. yeah. But... <laughs> Who was your favorite characters in this? I mean, if you had to say there's one person, who's your favorite character? Midge. Really? Yeah, Henry yeah, like, Jones. I love Midge. <laughs> she was like just fawning over this dude. Like she really didn't have much redeeming about her either. Well, no. It's well, kind of pathetic. Know. It's a little yeah, pathetic. Yeah, I mean, like, but if I got to pick a favorite, like, she entertained me. <laughs> I got so excited when they showed they had that like hearing and the coroner speaking and it's Henry Jones and if you you know who he is you've seen yeah. Henry Jones in like every movie he's worked almost as much as Stephen Root and uh, <laughs> it's like you just get that moment where you're like hey I've seen him in everything and he doesn't have a mustache this time ooh character ooh. development yeah and he's young he's younger here. Yeah, I didn't think yeah. any of the characters were like likable or any any way that I could connect Man. with them, but they were fascinating and interesting to examine from a you know critical analytical perspective. But like as far as one that I was just like, oh man, I love their character. I didn't really have one of those. So yeah, you like Mister Elster? Didn't you? That's the case. <laughs> you're like, yeah. I, he's my favorite character because he yeah. got away with it. You're watching train. You're watching train wrecks. You know, and yeah. and all the characters and. Um, and you're just you're mesmerized by that kind of aspect of you know who they are and where they're going, and you want to see how they're gonna, what's their outcome. Which, in most cases, I would be turned off on that, but in this case, it actually works in its advantage of being like it keeps your attention because they're you don't see anybody's outcome in this movie except obviously Judy. Well, I don't know. With literally that Jimmy Stewart standing at the edge of the building with a nun over his shoulder. Yeah. And it's you know, and Midge is like, ah, oh, fuck. Uh, honestly, I was waiting. I was waiting for him to throw himself off. Like that's Me too. that was kind of my uh, that was my prediction. What we we're gonna see, but yep. yeah, really, because the look yeah. on his face was just kind of like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> oh, sucks well. to be you. Just, sucks to be you. Happened twice, you know. And I know it's like he's never gonna date again because he'll be like, oh, every time I date, they jump off a building. Oh. <laughs> Well, maybe my favorite the character was Madeline. Off, it would have been even better. But. Oh, that would have been great if the nun reveals herself to be Mr. Elster. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, she's really that. Judy. There's a third Judy. <laughs> they were triplets. I thought the nun was Stephen Root. <laughs> it was. It was Stephen Root. That's why she was scared and jumped. Yeah. <laughs> she went, oh, my God, the guy is in everything. No! In the future. <laughs> it is not an unusual story. She came from somewhere small to the south of the city. Some say from a mission settlement. Young, yes, very young. And she was found dancing and singing in cabaret 
by that man. And he took her and built for her the great house in the Western addition. And uh, there, was a, there was a child. Yes, that's it. The child. The child. I cannot tell you exactly how much time passed or how much happiness there was. But then he threw her away. He had no other children. His wife had no children. So he kept the child and threw her away. You know, men could do that in those days. They had the power and the freedom. And she became a sad Carlotta, alone in the great house, walking the streets alone, her clothes becoming old and patched and dirty. And the mad Carlotta, stopping people in the streets to ask, where is my child? Have you seen my child? Did anyone see Hitchcock in this film? I missed I him. I yeah. missed him. Both yeah. times that I watched it. Where he was, was he? He was in the first like 10 minutes right before um, Scotty walked in to meet the, uh, the, the, I can't remember the guy's name, the guy that betrayed him. I think like he was right in the shipyard. The, yeah, yeah, he was right in the, the shipyard. shipyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he Just, walks in front of the building. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that, which is, you know, a patented thing that he did in, in all of his films. And, um, which I think is really cool that he, you know, he did that. Um, he, he actually was he in Psycho? He, Do you remember? Um, I can't remember. I remember in where he was Psycho. in the birds. On Psycho, uh, he walked like by on a crosswalk, I think, in front of Jana Lee Curtis's I, car. I think so too. Oh, yeah, it was so definitely sad. on that's the right. on the yeah. walk. Okay. He um um one of the things that he did later is he realized that people started looking for that and it took him out of the story. So he started moving himself up farther and farther to the beginning of the film, you know, as the years went by, because it became such a distraction for the viewers watching it. They were more worried about trying to find Hitchcock than they were about watching the film. Which <laughs> is kind of crazy that he built that kind of cult like following but one of the things about hitchcock i think that's really interesting is that he was one of the first ones that actually kind of took tv in and said i, I believe in it and i'm gonna you know do some tv shows so he had you know, different hitchcock shows presents yes which created this i mean i think he had three or four different shows and i'm not sure exactly you know how long each one of them ran but what they did do was create this you know mystique about hitchcock um, getting back to the, uh, the film, let's talk about the ending. Um, w- did you guys like the ending? Were you surprised? Tell me your thoughts on it. Patrick, you're going to start off. Well, it just kind of ended. It felt like she takes a, she takes a dive off cause she's afraid of nuns. I'm not really sure why she goes none and jumps. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, none? I did when I was I did when I was a kid because I was petrified of the the nuns at the parochial school. None. But uh, none jumps. She really and didn't then he say just none looks, though. She just jumped. Yeah. She just oh no. Jumped. Yeah. She didn't say none, but she she you know obviously the nun inspired her to jump. I don't know if she you know. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird place for that nun to be. <laughs> I know this nun. Where was she the first time? She just said, "I heard voices," and she you know says, "I ought to come up here and check it out and and yeah. hide in the corner." <laughs> and Judy's just like. 
she doesn't even wait. Doesn't even wait for that. She just jumps. Just Done. Like jump. From the shadows. Uh, yeah, it was kind of. But weird did she jump or did she back up and fall off? She jumped. She looked like she pretty jumped. Quick. Yeah, she looked like she took a running leap. <laughs> I, <whoa. laughs> I, I took it as she backed up and fell. I didn't yeah. see the running jump, and I, I took it as. She I don't know. Her face looked pretty damn terrified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unlike Jimmy Stewart's face, who was like. Well, there goes another one. Well, do you think she was having flashbacks to, you know, what she had done in that situation? Uh, Was that one of the things I'm thinking? Or do you think it was just the scare of someone coming up the steps and, you know, you're just. Well, she she appeared in shadow, the nun. So, yeah, she might have been. I don't know. I don't know what. Maybe she thought she was being set up. Maybe. uh, Maybe it was the husband come to kill her. No, it's the ghost of. Christmas future. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. I had wondered if she thought it was the husband that was like coming back to, you know, close off loose ends and stuff. But, um, yeah, she, it did kind of catch me off guard when she just fell back. Like it didn't seem like it was that much to startle her, but yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, the ending was, I mean, I think that made it, you know, it already had happened. And the fact that you didn't expect it to happen twice was kind of the shock and the, you know, the suspense of it. And I think it played. That should have been Hitchcock's cameo. If Hitchcock showed up and then she jumped out. (laughs) Lands on him on the bottom, you know, as he's down there. No, no, no. He's the nun. He he walks out. Oh, 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 as he was the nun. Yeah. He shows up and she goes, ah. And he goes, caught. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Film wrapped. <laughs> well, like you know, Maxwell Pratt. I think it goes back to the fact that he wanted to be early in the film so that people weren't looking for him, you know, getting that out of the situation. So, um, yeah, I, I think the ending about the ending is really to me, it sets the tone of like here he's starting all over again. You know, he's going back through this whole thing. He's now, you know. What, what has changed and, and how does that change his character feel? And I think it's just such a good surprise that, you know, at this time, no one was doing anything like this. You know, we watch it now, you know, uh, what, 60 years from now, you know, basically almost, and, or yeah, 60 years, 61 years. Almost 70. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 62, I think. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this week's math lesson because it's fifty. It. <laughs> Notice how silent. Fifty-eight, so it's sixty-two. Sixty-two years. Sorry. So, <laughs> so Patrick was like, chirp, chirp. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> At least I'm trying. <laughs> so, uh, you got to realize that's that's a long time in film history, and you know everything's been tried now since then because you know at that time they were not making as many movies as there are now, of course, but this was way ahead of its time. Do you think? Okay, watching this now, do you think that was one of the things that made his his legacy? Is this film, or do you think it's the compilation of, of everything? Wait a minute, we're looking back mm-hmm. at this now. Yeah, I think that's part of. I mean, this movie's loved by critics. I think it's got a, a one hundred of the Metacritic scale. Yeah, it's, which uh, which is funny because its IMDb rating from viewers is maybe like an eight something, eight point three, or uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I will look at it right now. Eight point three, but one hundred from the Metacritic. So yeah, it's obviously a big thing. But people who are more invested in entertainment, I think, like Laura and me, are going to jump more for Psycho or uh, 
or the birds because you have resolution. Well, the birds kind of is open-ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Psycho's not. Unless you watch Psycho 2, which I did enjoy very much. Uh, Me too. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a good movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I like that. Uh, I think that Vertigo would have ended better if the uh, instead of the nun, it was like the grandpa from uh, Lost Boys. And he comes out <laughs> and goes, one thing I never liked about San Francisco is all the damn women jumping out of bell towers. <laughs> and then just a close-up of Jimmy Stewart's face with this quizzical look. And then it goes into a door song that hasn't been written yet. It's <laughs> like a fever dream going on here. Get, get, get Hitchcock on the phone. I got ideas for him. <laughs> could have been Midge, too. Midge could have stepped out. Like, to give her something to do besides us feel sorry for her. Well, she I could have been obsessed with Jimmy Stewart and been following him. That would have been a whole other angle. Yeah, I think that could too. have been a really that could have been a really good <laughs> ending there, you know, where she was just coming up and following him, and that would have put another twist to it. Um, but I think it might have taken away from the story too, yeah. because this is about a single man and his, you know, it would have his, totally normalized obsession, right? Like he's not obsessed; everyone's obsessed. And she goes, "Here, I brought you the brown suit that I like you wearing better." Well, let's, right, talk, let's talk. Let's talk about this because. <laughs> Um, this is kind of a movie about a a man creating a woman out of a dead woman. Okay. I mean, you know, that's kind of the, the sad part of this, but that's what he's trying to do throughout. I don't follow. I don't follow. Well, it's like a necrophilia, you know, it's kind of like a love for dead. He's trying to bring back the dead. Right. Right. I don't see 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 it that way. I see him trying to recreate yeah. Uh, the romance he had before, but when you get into that necrophilia stuff, all of a sudden it, it becomes a much more interesting movie, for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, what? Yeah. Well, we found what Patrick <laughs> wanted in this movie. <laughs> Something besides three people jumping off the buildings. Right, uh, right. <laughs> uh, it, I think he's trying to recreate his, we'll call it his first love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds a little bit better than he's trying to make dead women do it with him in the church. <laughs> but it is a little bit more than he's trying to recreate her. Like it's, he wants her to be that woman. He doesn't want to recreate someone like that woman. He wants her to be yeah. her. Well, and that's where I'm confused in the story is when he, uh, when does he realize that she is not her or that she is her, that Judy is uh, Marguerite. That's the the necklace is the the flipping point that he realizes a hundred percent. All of a sudden, he's like, "Whoa!" I, so are. now you've added a, you've added a new mathematical thing, a hundred percent. So does he kind of think before that that maybe that maybe she has this to is her. a little bit? I think human nature, you would have to, right? I think well, he's hoping. He's hoping. I think he's. Yeah, that's I think the, it, yeah. through the whole time he's seen something in her that reminds him of her, but he's not. Doesn't think it's her a hundred percent. But maybe he does. You know what I mean? So what it's percent? Like, do, what odds do you? Give I think. Him? I think his. I would say 50%. if I was giving him, I would say he's thinking like tw- you know he's a detective. I think he's thinking this maybe ten to fifteen percent. But that's enough to make you think. And then as it goes on, you start to see as she, she makes the transformation, she becomes more and more alike, this, you know, the person that he thinks is dead. 
And then that becomes sort of the the mystery of it, and he's trying to figure it out, and and maybe in a forced way because he becomes such so obsessed with it that he's not likable. Um, but then you realize he's also been conned. So you know he's been the con has been played on him the game. So now he's starting to figure that out, and I think that's what gets to really, especially when he's going up the steps, you know, and that whole. You know, we when we see the the dolly push there that you know the second time where I don't yeah. have acrophobia anymore. Right, <laughs> right. He's all cured, right, cured all of a sudden. I thought that I'm part cured. was a little cheesy. That you know, I think it didn't have to be that I'm cured. You know, it's no, it, but I think he was so obsessed with her that that was the the thing on his mind rather than looking down and seeing all that goofy movement shit. Yeah, that was the first time that vertigo had become mm-hmm. secondary. And like, right, right. like doing harm to her was more important than being scared. And I will say Kim Novak, when she is Judy in that first scene where she's like, my name's Judy. I, I work at the, I don't know, remember where she works at. It was like a, some sort of shop or something like that. Yeah, the store. She did a really, she was really good. In she was in that. In Judy that- as, as a separate thing because i started going the first time i saw it i'm like so that's not the same it looks like the same lady yeah well, I, I, and she sounded lady. different and she was very convincing yeah. uh, i yeah. think I, I think what happened in this part of it is hitchcock worked with novak to get her to speak sort of in a rhythm uh mm-hmm. throughout the film so he wanted that to happen and i think when she got to that part of it he wanted her to her real come out almost her real personality come out instead so you're of, saying like Madeline's uh, speaking uh, was very affected yeah it was a you know because it, it was, did it sounded it had a different tempo and it, I kept going is she doing an accent or is she yeah no and it, it, it was her you know trying to be the the Carla Valdez uh, character you know she's trying to sort of kind of be that Who person that? The Carlotta Valdez. That's Carlotta, another name. Carlotta Valdez. The, the woman in the, the oh, painting. The, yeah, the yeah, woman the, in the yeah. painting. <laughs> Supposedly possessed. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which, Maybe uh, that's who she thought the nun was. Which was actually, you know, who, who that painting was. It was of Vera Miles. So I don't know if any of y'all know who that was. But that she no, was no, originally the one. She was the original one that was cast to be in this, uh, in this film to play the part that Kim Novak played. And, and. Uh, Hitchcock had, in, during the you know, filming of, we're getting ready for it, uh, had some complications with medical issues, and so during that time they had to, you know, kind of wait, and then she got pregnant, and she was not available to play the part, so that's when Kim Novak st- stepped in and uh, mm-hmm. and took over, but uh, yeah, and Vera ended up being in quite a few things with Hitchcock later. Um, uh, Is she? She's not the one who's Jamie. Uh, what's her name from Halloween? Mother, yeah, that's, that's Janet, Janet Lee. Janet from, that's Janet Lee. Yeah. Psycho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought Vera Miles was in Psycho too for some reason. Mm, I don't think so. I'd have to yeah, look she at. She was. Was she? She was. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. She's so, probably the girl that doesn't get killed in the shower. She plays. Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> she, which one did she play in that? Lila Crane. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, anyway. I, yeah, I think. Um, Kim Novak was captivating in this movie, though. Like she, she did a great job. I, I yeah. thought she was amazing, in it. and I thought she had this sort of believability. Like, and 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 honestly, like you said, uh, Squeaker, 
you didn't know if it was her or not. And that's pretty impressive, like, to be able to, that they've transformed her to, like, I mean, I was like, she, I didn't think she was as attractive, you know. I mean, it was amazing the transition from that to what she became when she put on the dress and everything and she had the, the blonde hair and all that. And she just looked like a different person, you know, and it was, for that to be believable, it's so hard. I mean, think about how hard that is to pull that off. And, um, you know, I, I, and you've got to give Hitchcock a lot of credit for a lot of things in this. Like the design of the, the sets are just absolutely beautiful. Uh, the clothes, you know, the clothes in this are almost like a character in a sense. Oh, because they're gorgeous. Just absolutely beautiful. And all the green aspects. dresses. There are several green dresses that are just amazing. But it had to be the same green dress that the other girl wore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the use of the grays. You know, gray's not a great color to put a blonde in. Uh, and yet he it works in this film so well. And he was adamant. She came in with different ideas for wardrobe and stuff, which is funny because as an actor, I've never gone in and went, I really see my character wearing this uh, Hawaiian <laughs> shirt and uh, sequined jeans. <laughs> but she had all these ideas and didn't like the shoes. She didn't like the gray. And Hitchcock was adamant. And he's like, no, this is this is what it's got to be. This is the this uniform. Is you don't like it? Get out. Was yeah. he from New York, obviously? Yes. Like, you, you, you wear this or you wear nothing, girly. Forget about it. <laughs> and, and let's talk about the music in this. Uh, do you think the music, how would this, with different music, how would this have played? Would it have been well, as big a success? Different. If it was like heavy metal, probably not. Yeah. Well, I, I watched Our it once music, and, played, it be- and played a Three Doors Down album while watching it. <laughs> and it uh, it doesn't really work as much as playing Pink Floyd's The Wall backwards oh, okay. yeah. and dropping Agreed. acid while watching it. Yeah. Well, that would have so. a completely different effect. <laughs> but I, I think thought the, the music was good. It, I mean, it's it was orchestrated music, or, wasn't it? Bernard, Bernard Herman, yeah. 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 Yeah, a lot of, I mean, it could be considered one of the best um, music scores in, in any movie. That's one of the things that a lot of people talk about. It's funny, um, I'll be honest, and not to be racist, but all Hitchcock movie scores sound the same to me. Well, that's because most of them are, yeah. are done by Bernard Herman's. Uh, did a he lot of this. should have changed it up a little bit. Should have yeah. gotten that uh, Ennio Morricone guy, you know? Herman also yeah. wrote, which a lot of people don't realize, yeah. he, he did the score to uh, Citizen Kane. He did the Strings of Anxiety. Yeah, which is impressive. Don't we? So all? here's two of the best <laughs> films of all time. You know, potentially, you know, rated by critics as two of the best films of all time. And you know what? One movie I haven't seen. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. I have not seen Citizen Kane. Oh my god! You gotta don't it. don't. Uh, you might. You know, it might. It <laughs> might. I see it right there on somebody's shelf. There, there, there it is. Go. There it is. VHS. Yeah. Wells is go. yeah. Proud. Well, it's on the uh, HBO Max, and I keep going, I should watch that, but I never really get to that point where I'm like, what am I in the mood to watch? Citizen Kane. Oh, <laughs> Citizen Kane, no, watch that. Oh, that sounds Although funny. that's how I started watching Trumbo today, so I don't know. We'll see, we'll see if I can get to that. <laughs> Years ago on the Charlie Brown, uh, Lucy tries to ruin it for Charlie Brown and says Rosebud. She says Rosebud is a sled, spoiler, but I hear – in my child mind, Rosebud is a slut. So for years, I thought this movie ends and you find out Rosebud's a slut. 
Oh, that slutty, slutty rosebud. <laughs> it could have been. It could, what it really would have been interesting if it was uh, Judy and a nun appears from behind her. <laughs> and she jumps, she jumps out of a random building. That, that's rosebud! the twist of every movie now. <laughs> it is. <it's laughs> what am I doing here? What happened? Well, you fell into San Francisco Bay. I, I uh, tried to dry your hair as best I could. Your things are in the kitchen. They'll be dry in a few minutes. Come on over by the fire. I, I think you can kind of think of this movie differently if you consider that maybe he is actually like some brilliant detective that's just trying to catch this scheme that uh, Judy and uh, the guy have put together. Did anybody else kind of see it that way? I did. I watched it that way one time because I rented it for three ninety nine on iTunes. So I will not just watch a movie once that I rent. I have to watch it multiple times. <laughs> and the first time I was watching it, I'm like, I really was like, he knows, doesn't he? And he's just a yeah. really, really cruel man torturing her, waiting for her to finally go, fine, you caught me. Yeah, yeah. I'm Marguerite. <laughs> Madeline. That, that Jesus. Madeline. <laughs> I'm not sure I I def, like I necessarily believe that, but I think you could make the case again the icebox thing. If if that's how you want to see it, you could maybe see it that way. Yeah. Well, here, here's here's the quote from Hitchcock: "In a mystery, you never need to have everything add up. That way, the audience will participate." So I think in that case, this is what's happening here: is you're you know you're creating that conversation, and maybe that's why this film has done so well over the years, is it creates the conversation that goes on after the movie that gets people to constantly talk about it, which then consequently, you know, makes people more people want to watch it and all that stuff. And it's had, you know, a big success out of it. But I, I think one of the times that I watched this film, I went, I came from that perspective that he was trying to be the, you never get the detective out of your head. He's always in that detective mode and he's always questioning everything. You know, and it fits with Jimmy Stewart's kind of personality because he was always one of those. His characters were always kind of questioning everything, kind of at, you know aspects of it. Um, maybe not as much as like Larry David, but you know some of the other you know, <laughs> ones. But he he has that sort of questioning kind of thing that goes through it. And 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 him coming from the detective standpoint, he's really trying to figure out the mystery the, to to solve the crime of what's happened. And so it plays that way. And I think it works. Because you can kind of pick a point where you think maybe he figured it out. And it could be a different point every time you watch it. But even if you look at the point where he sees her on the street as Judy, like imagine that's the point he realizes, like, now I've got to figure out what the setup was. Like, I think that's a conceivable. Yeah. And I've got to just keep pushing her until she breaks. Right. Which is cruel. Yeah, totally cruel. <laughs> which, is, which is how it looked to me. I was like, God, he's such a douche. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Not that she's a great person. She's an accomplice to murder. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And like, how much involvement did she have in the actual murder? Like, is she just... I, that's what I was saying earlier. I, did, I felt like she was trying to say that she was kind of like strung along with it. And when we see her go up the bell tower, she's about to scream and he like... Doesn't he like grab her uh, and cover her mouth or something? Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. when he throws figure, the he throws the body out. Figure her life was probably threatened as well. That if she didn't go along with this, then you know she would be next. Mm. Or, or which makes she you wonder with with him, you know, on an emotional sexually. side, sexually. And there was money. She said she and, got money, and she got money. But out if of I was this. an accomplice, I would leave town. If yeah, I was me like, too. Yeah. I mean, I think she was hoping to run. She didn't into get that much money. <laughs> but see, that's she didn't the, get as much money as she was promised. I know that. <laughs> damn. And they, these are the questions that you know it's set there in the in the stone on this thing. So it's does you know there's 55 variables because everybody's got a different interpretation of you know where they come from on this, and that's what makes this kind of interesting about the whole film. And and I think it it changes, and I think it's something that's you know there's not many movies when you think about this that you'll have this kind of discussion afterwards about things in it you know usually you're like i don't believe this (laughs) (laughs) david david lynch movie david David lynch Lynch, we end up going so what do you think was the deal with the the little headless quail singing in the oven what do you think was the deal with (laughs) the midget talking backwards you said midget yeah yeah damn it yeah my apology now i'm gonna get hate mail from midgets Mm -hmm. little people all two of them that are listening yeah we have so uh and they're and they're foreign of the They're short from people. Turkey. Yeah. So, <laughs> Turkish little people. The, the views expressed by Patrick Keenan do not represent the adult beverage profile. <laughs> Please email Patrick at gmail.com. Um, so, uh, Here's, I have a question. I have a question, unless you're yes. going to say something right. amazing, Kent. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so, we talked about last time how uh, they remade Rear Window. Could you ever see them remaking this movie? I think, I mean, they could. I, I think it would be stupid. I mean, I think it would be completely different because you, it would be the way he treats women in it is no go. Yeah, you got to so, take out all the misogyny. So I it would make if her flip it. They flip the gender and make it. That's over, what they would do yeah. now. Make a woman, yeah. 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 Setting up a some yeah. doofy guy. Yeah. They definitely would have to do Stephen that nowadays. Yeah. Stephen Root. Perfect. Yeah. He'd be the one that popped out of the tower. <laughs> totally. Totally. He's the nun. Yeah. He is the nun. You guys want to make him the nun. That's what it is. Well, hey, I mean, this has been great, but let's talk about what you guys have seen. Any other movies you've seen this week or anything that's, uh, you know, that you can think of that uh, people should be watching right now? I made uh, my husband watch 12 Days of Christmas Eve, and I thought it was going to be torturous, and I thought it was going to be hilarious to watch him squirm, and really, we both enjoyed it very much. It was um, Stephen Weber. Is that a Hallmark movie or something? I don't know. (laughs) It was on Shout TV uh, for free. I think you made that up. Shout TV. Shout TV? It's an app. They yell everything? They shout! (laughs) Um, but it was good. Stephen Weber from Wings, and um, it's kind of like Scrooge meets um, Groundhog Day. No oh. fun. How old? What year? 2004? Okay. It helps. I, saw, I uh, laughed. Kent and I both saw, I think, Uncle Frank. Yes. Stephen Root? Uncle Frank. Stephen Root Uncle as Frank? Mac Daddy or something like that. Daddy Mac, I think, was his name in it. He's got like two scenes. Uh, it was really good. It's, it's uh, really good. I highly recommend everybody watching it. It's filmed in Wilmington. Um, yeah. A lot of people. We know we like know. four actors in it. Yeah. None of them are me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dave Blamey. Got to give him big props on Dave it. Dave Blamey's in it. Dave yeah. Hager's in it. Uh, yeah. uh, Mike Harding. Mike Harding's in yeah. it. And uh, 
Burgess. All of, them are, all of them are great actors, and uh, you know, just I think I, I think the story itself is just phenomenal all the way through. I mean, it is a tearjerker of a movie. It gets you. Um, and it's just a, it's a it's a nice uh, it's a nice surprise, you know, no and, and for a for a low budget type film, it's just fascinating and and a great story yeah, good, and good indie fair. Good indie fair, and I, I mean, I, I'm I'm putting it as one of the top films that's come out this year uh, right now. I think. Wow! I'm really, wow. real impressed with it. I, th- I love the storytelling. I thought the way it was told, and you know, it's funny, it's entertaining, it's you never get bored, and I think it's uh, it's a meaningful story that needs to be told. And I thought I, I got to give, them, you know, big thumbs up for uh, for doing that. So uh, yeah, it was good. It yeah. was good. I also saw one called Spontaneous. Has anyone seen that? I haven't seen that one. I was kind of hoping it would be the Heathers of our new generation. It's about uh, these high school kids, and they keep blowing up. <laughs> Spontaneously. Like it Tell me more. And and it's got the girl, Catherine Langford, I think is her name, from uh, Knives Out, the young girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Young mm-hmm. actress. And uh, uh, I forget the boy in it, the guy in it, something plumber. And uh, – it's just, it's kind of, it's fun and it's dark. It's obviously because people are blowing up throughout the movie. And it's a, a fun indie movie that people should check out. Spontaneous. Nice. Yes. I'm also not in it. <laughs> but neither is Steven Root. <laughs> Take that. Take uh, that, Root. Another one I watched uh, <clears throat> the TV shows on HBO, and I highly recommend this one too, is The uh, the Undoing. Um, it's got mm. uh, Hugh Grant in it, uh, Nicole Kidman, and Donald Sutherland. Um, and it and it basically follows a uh, therapist in New York City, and kind of uh, a one night what happens during one night uh, involving I'm not going to tell too much about the story, but involving uh, friends and things that go wrong. And as the story just unfolds, you try to look at it from. In the end, you're you're basically questioning every single person. It's so well done on that side where you're you know you don't know who's the who's the the villain in the situation. And, and can I give just, you my take on that one? <laughs> have you watched it? Yeah. yeah, I I've never had a show where I became so less interested as it goes along. Like by the end, I I was out. I I thought it was. That's actually the general consensus I've had from my friends. They were like, I was really into it at first, and then I just couldn't wait for it to be over. Mm. And I'm like, then why did you why didn't you just stop watching it? And they're like, because I was already gotta committed. Figure it out. You got to find out what happened. But you have to find out. Did you know? Did you know what was gonna that how it was gonna turn out? No, I mean I had a lot of guesses. I would say it did do a really good job of making you question everybody and make right. guesses. Um, I just thought it did dropped you care off quality no? wise. You just didn't um, care by the end. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm not going to say too much because yeah, it, it gets way to too much. That's why yeah, I was trying to so protect it. I'll just say that I became less interested as it went along. And I could see how that could happen because I was like you know three in I was really and it's, it's like a six I think six parts. Mm-hmm. Um, three in I was like really you know. I want to know more and more. And then I kind of got, uh, 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 but I thought the acting was so good. Uh, Hugh Grant was great in it. Um, you know, yeah. the kid that plays it, I'm not sure what his name is, but uh, he's really good. It was just great oh. acting and it's, and it's an interesting story and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of got a, a courtroom kind of experience in there too. That's kind of, and this isn't the Jude law one. No. Mm-mm, mm-mm. What's the Jude law one? Cause somebody was talking about the Jude law show at that time. HBO, oh, yeah, not the Pope thing. Uh, not, not, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not other. Mm. 
I suck at watching TV as it is. So I get really, I lose interest usually after the first or second episode, unless it's Umbrella Academy or, or uh, man, that was so space. good, wasn't it? Awesome! Oh, Can't so wait till good. third season. I know. I, know. I also watched one. I think a lot of people like, and I, I thought it was really interesting because I had a completely different perspective on, um, on on the thing. But it was all about uh, Ruth Bader uh, Ginsburg. Ruth Bader uh, Ginsburg uh, on RBG. the basis of sex. Yeah, uh, yeah. Felicity Jones. Yeah, and it was entertaining oh. and very. I mean, I'm not saying it's a great film, but it was very entertaining to hear, you know, about her life and how it came about. And I was completely surprised, to be honest with you. I was. I, I, I thought I knew a lot about her, but I didn't know as much as this film kind of portrays and shows. And uh, you know, it, it's very entertaining to watch. And I won't say it's the, the best thing I've seen on TV, but it, but I was entertained throughout the you know the whole film. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh see a bit of an award season pick. It's probably gonna it's probably gonna I don't know how much it's gonna get at the Oscars, but it has a lot of potential. Uh Minari. It is directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Um and it's a uh South Korean production, um, you know, based on basically an autobiography of Lee Isaac Chung, stars Stephen Yoon. Uh, so there's this Korean family moving from South Korea to Arkansas in the 80s, and it's a family drama kind of depicting their adjustments to the life and the culture. Uh, just very tender movie, um, very you know personal and a lot of passion that went into it. Uh, shot and edited beautifully. The score is incredible. Uh, I think it doesn't hit a wide release until like February, but um, it's one that I would highly recommend whenever you all get a chance to see it. So. Cool. Yeah, Say the I've name one it. more time. Uh, Minari, uh, yeah, Minari. M M I N A R I. I've got it on my list to, to to buy that one because it looks really good, and uh, I've heard good things from a couple. Sight unseen, you're gonna buy it. Look at you. Well, I know you want because it's uh, it, it's you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I, I tend to I tend to watch South Korean movies. <laughs> Actually, he now does, one of us needs true. to one of us needs to bite the bullet and watch Peninsula. And see if it's as bad as we think it's going to be. My brother <laughs> the watched sequel it. To Diddy, and he said he loved the he loved Train to Busan. Uh, no, I don't think so he's much. finished it. I think he like stopped halfway, and then <laughs> I'm <laughs> waiting for it to be like all the way through. Free. If it's free, I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. Or 99 cents. Maybe I'd spring 99 cents. I don't yeah. know. Well, that's good. Well, this one's been this whole podcast has been free, so that's a good thing um, because uh, the story of our lives. Can, can yeah. I mention one other movie news thing sure. that happened? I want to get your thoughts on it. Where Warner Brothers said that they were going to make all their movies yes. in 2021 available on demand, or I guess on HBO Max simultaneous to the theater release. Mm-hmm. What do you think this is going to do? Is this the future? Is this just a temporary thing? I, I think it's, uh, as a matter of fact, it was kind of funny um, at the American film markets. Uh, one of the discussions that I was uh, part of uh, was talking about this happening potentially. Um, and there was discussion that this could be a way for them to get it out. And, you know, the longer they hold these films, the more expensive it gets to them because of the amount of money they've got. And then your budgets, you know, you're waiting for this thing to think. If this does not. Let's say no one comes back to the really, you know, hitting the theaters until November of next year. You know, that's a long time to ride these films out. And, you know, the amount of interest that you're accruing off of that time, as well as is just, you know, immeasurable. And we're seeing some big success in, you know, the, you know, renting at first 
you know, for say $20 or $30 or, you know, uh, a lot of people are jumping on that board because they're looking for content to watch at home. And, you know, and, and, and there's five people watching it and, and they're sitting there going, this is a great way to see films and, you know, that they're in the theater. So I, I think they're recouping a lot of money in that aspect. That, you know, it is not the same way as having a, let's, let's be honest, the, the experience is not the same. But, you know, so many people now have, you know, 72 inch TVs. And so it's a, it's a little bit different than having somebody watch it on their cell phone or whatever. Um, and that's the way you would want it. And you don't We're have that do experience that <laughs> of people, you know, also, you know, how people Screaker react. Does that. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but Warner so, Brothers is saying that it's a temporary, it's, it's just a temporary during the thing. But what you well, got to remember is a lot of movie theaters are counting on these big pictures to stay alive. Yeah, exactly. So it might not be, uh, a temporary thing. We got to see what happens with AMC. What happens with Regal? If they if they get wiped away, someone's going to have to come along and reinvent movie theaters. Right. This is going to change that whole aspect, which I'm okay with too, because change is good. But uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the new Dune. And yeah. uh, somebody said, "Well, I will not watch it until I could see it in a the theater." I'm like, "I'll watch it any fucking way I can." And then yeah. when I have the chance, I'll see it in the theater too. But I'm not exactly. that much of a like Wonder Woman 1984. I think we're doing an outdoor Christmas viewing of it on Christmas Day. That'll be our yeah. little because every year we used to go see a movie on Christmas. So I think we're going to mm-hmm. do try that if the weather permitting, obviously. Uh, so it could be fun, and that'll be a bigger yeah. screen, obviously, than my TV, which is like 42 inches or something. Yeah. <laughs> see, they, they can say it's temporary, but it's hard to ever go back. Once you make a change like that and it becomes the norm even for you know part of a year, it's going to be tough to roll that back. Like, do theaters just become, like you said, a place where you can go just to get the experience as opposed to seeing them first? Well, there's nothing takes away from being in the theater and seeing a film. I mean, that is so by far the best experience. And then, you know, when you do it at home, it's, it's, you're watching it at home, it's still good. But then, let's be honest, Watching it on a computer, it you know every time you go, even when you're watching it on your iPhone, you know it's not as big and you know the, the experience, but you're still taking the content. Not everybody has that feel like has to see it in the theater, so it is going to affect it, I think, in some ways, and it's going to take it's going to be a struggle for theaters to come back, and it's a sad thing um, to see uh, because I think that is the way that any filmmaker wants his film to be seen. You know, we've run into oh, yeah. that with. The festival circuit, you know, as that, you know, it's online. And so people are watching it on their computer. Well, it doesn't have the same experience as when you watch it blown up on a big, you know, 40 by 50, you know, foot screen as it does when you're watching it on uh, your iPhone, you know, or on your computer. It, it, they're two different things. It's like, so I, I think it's that's going to be something that's going to be an interesting uh, uh transition as we go you know go through and see what happens and hopefully the, the theaters will come back yeah because really i think they nothing. will it might not be the same chains uh, anymore they might not survive but i think uh listen when i was a kid i worked at a movie theater as a 1200 seat house 800 down and 400 seat uh balcony and we would show the big movies you know whatever superman 2 indiana jones uh, raiders of the lost ark stuff like that and then the owner said we're going to show casablanca and i went are you fucking kidding that's on tv like every two weeks and casablanca is one of the few things that sold out every single seat in that theater because people wanted to see it on a big screen oh, wow. and i mm-hmm. think 
that's always going to be something that people want is to see. And I'm not talking about the stupid shit, little comedy movies and stuff like that, which you could watch on TV and be fine with. Uh, but if it's a big, if it warrants being watched in a big thing, there'll they'll be a way it'll, it'll find its way back. But even those comedies, like comedies are funnier when you're in a whole group of people without um, a doubt. Like yeah. if you're just sitting on a couch by yourself, the jokes aren't usually as funny as if you're in a whole room of people where everybody's just rolling. I actually don't like watching comedies in theaters or <laughs> you don't like comedies TV. in general. That surprises <laughs> me really so much about not. you, Patrick. <laughs> I know. It's like you'd think I'd be into it. I'm into <laughs> horror movies and and you know. Yeah. I went to see Bridesmaids films. by myself at like eleven in the morning. I was the only one in the theater and I uh-huh. laughed my full head off. It was wonderful. Well, I, I laughed think it, when I, I think, saw that on cable uh, with the doo doo, the doo doo scene where he takes a dump <laughs> in the street. I laughed so hard I couldn't breathe anymore. I was just like, "Oh my god!" And I was by myself. <laughs> and that's the thing about theater experiences: you have such a different because you know even a I've seen a, a comedy in the theater and you know no one laughed and it was just like the most boring. And then I went home and watched mm-hmm. it you know, by myself. And I was like, Oh my God, this is funny. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we, I don't know what was, you know, so it can, it can go well in the theater. It cannot go well. And comedy doesn't yeah. translate across, uh, you know, all the different vibes either. So like, you know, the, the U S might be funny here, but it might, might not be funny in, in Spain or, uh, in Germany, they don't have the same interpretation. Their comedy doesn't work over here. So it's, you know, comedy is a, a, a funny thing. Horror on the other hand, works everywhere because everybody I don't know that. I was I, I'm actually going to say if the first time if I saw Blair Witch on a TV the first time it would have been completely ineffective but I saw it in a the theater and people's first of all they're just anxiety that you can feel plus what they were saying uh like oh motherfucker don't go in there <laughs> uh definitely made it an experience it's well, it was and, definitely and more of an experience than if if, if you I thought it was real it. If you thought it was real and then saw it in the theater, it was a huge experience. But I didn't think it was real when I saw it in the theater. Uh, but the audience made me get really tense watching this movie because it's really a 90-minute movie about jack shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible I film. Think, yeah, I don't think modern theatrical audiences or that I've experienced have much respect for the material that's presented to them. I think most of them are just there to get out and socialize. And of course things are a lot different within the past eight months, but even prior to that, like within the past, probably two years prior to COVID shutdown and everything, I just noticed that people were becoming less and less respectful of the people around them and of what was, and the the art that was on screen. And I guess it can just be a regional thing. Um, It depends on the theater you go to. It depends on, um, you know, the people that are there, but it's, um, that's kind of the reason I invested in like a 65 inch 4k TV that we have here now. So like if when we have all these HBO max streaming things coming, then I can somewhat replicate that experience without mm-hmm. all of the other idiots out there, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it is a different experience. I know like watching on, you know, our bigger screen TV, um, and then watching it on our little smaller TV and then me watching it on the 4k projector that I have, you know, on a 20 foot, it's a completely different experience on each one of them. And you know, the bigger it is, the better it is. I mean, that's just all there is to it. I, I, I couldn't imagine I having seen a Avengers end game on a small screen because yeah. that movie was just too, 
epic. And that was one of the ones where no one in the audience was disrespectful. It oh, was, yeah, I've yeah. Never heard, I've yeah. never heard people so quiet and emotional at the same time. I was just like, you go, Marvel. You got them. You know, you, you know what you're doing on this one. Good for you. Uh, well, but there's other movies. It's hard to watch horror movies in the theater because just what Ferris is saying is it's people go there to socialize and uh, they're just talking and they're being douche monkeys. And you're like, shut up. I can't even hear what's going on in this movie. But yeah. when everybody is engaged, those jump scares in a big crowd are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah they're fun. Everybody they're at very the same fun. Time. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't imagine seeing the descent on a big screen and having people like chit-chatting. Oh, no. It's just too tense of a yeah. film to yeah. uh, to see, and I, I think everyone would be sucked in. So part of it is what the movies are, too. I mean, if it's a Kevin Hart comedy, I expect people to probably be talking and having side conversations <laughs> yeah. during yeah. it. No offense to Kevin Hart. <laughs> well, we want to thank uh, Ferris for what are we doing next time? Show. Um, well, you know, I think we need Did to decide that? that, right? Did we decide we it? Pick. We yeah. did decide that. Yeah. yeah. What is and it? And it rhymes with. Krampus. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. I could not think of anything. That yeah, we did decide on Krampus. Brampus. Krampus Bram- will be the Brampus. next one. This is going to be our our lovely uh, Christmas. Uh, it's going to be our magical holiday Christmas movie. Yeah, That's so right. uh, it's going to be fun to dig into that one and uh, and kind of turn and churn into that one so anyway we want to thank everybody for being here and Ferris thank Thanks, you so Ferris. much for coming on it was awesome to have Yay. you great to see you again and uh, and uh, for all your listeners we want to thank you for listening and, and sharing this with your, your friends and buddies and and um, and make sure you rate, review, and subscribe, and yeah. and check out you know www.adultbeverage.com dot com because we're not there, but adultbeverage.net. Yeah, net. Yeah. We can't afford <laughs> that one. Yeah, whether you're watching on demand the or in a theater, yeah. keep watching movies. That's right. Keep, keep watching movies. Watch the artists. Yeah. Like, that's the key. Keep watching movies. And thanks again. And uh, we'll have one a good one for you next time. So wear a mask. Yeah, please wash your hands. See ya. Social I'm responsible for you now. You know, the Chinese say that once you've saved a person's life, you're responsible for it forever. So I'm committed. I have to know. So little that I know. It's as though I, I were walking down a long corridor that at once was mirrored. And fragments of that mirror still hang there. And when I come to the end of the corridor, there's nothing but darkness. And I know that when I walk into the darkness, that I'll die. But I've never come to the end. I've always come back before then. Except once. Yesterday. And you didn't know. You didn't know what happened until you found yourself with me. You didn't know where you were. But the small scenes, the fragments of the mirror, you remember those? Vaguely. What do you remember? There's a room. And I sit there alone. Always alone. What else? A grave. Where? I don't know. It's an open grave, and I... I stand by the gravestone looking down into it. It's my grave. But how do you know? I know. But is there a name on the gravestone? No. No, it's it's new and clean and waiting. 
what else? It's part of his dream, I think, there. There's a tower and a bell in the garden below. It seems to be in Spain. A village in Spain. It clicks off and it's gone. Well, a portrait. Do you see a portrait? No. If I could just find the key, the beginning, and, and, and put it together. So explain it away. There is a way to explain it, you see. If I'm mad, well, that would explain it, wouldn't it? Thank you for listening to Adult Beverage Film Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsors, Bricks Wood Fired Pizza, where they bring people together. They also have some of the best adult beverages around, so check them out. Be sure to visit adultbeverage.net on the web to find out more interesting facts about films and exciting bonus material. You have just listened to Laura, Patrick, and Kent, and Squeaker. Love our podcast? Head over to your favorite platforms such as Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes to subscribe, rate, review. That's this week's episode of Adult Beverage Film Podcast, and thank you for listening. <laughs>